I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, one guest this week, but it's a great one, Larry Kalmus, the race caller for NBC Sports' group coverage of the Triple Crown, Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and Belmont, also the Breeders' Cup. So he is here two days after calling Rich Strike's just amazing win at the Kentucky Derby at 80-1 to 1 odds. And uh, Larry talks about the call and sort of how he saw it from his perspective. I thought it was a great, great call, which uh, which you will hear after my intro to this. And uh, it was a great conversation. If, um, if you're into horse racing, I'm sure you will love it. But if you're not, I think you'll just learn something about what, um, what it takes to, to make those calls at uh, the highest level of that sport. So Larry Kalmus on calling Rich Strike's amazing Kentucky Derby win on the Sports Media Podcast. And they're into the stretch, and it's Messier, Crown Pride, and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandin is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandin, these two stride for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter, Sandin, Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh my goodness, the longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. All right, as I said at the top, I'm very excited to bring in Larry Kalmus, who uh, I really wanted to talk to, probably, you know, of all the people I wanted to talk to on the podcast this week, he honestly was first after uh, his phenomenal call of Rich Strike winning the Kentucky Derby. We'll get into that because race callers are notoriously hard on themselves. And I am pleased to be joined, I think for a return visit to this podcast, by Larry Comas, the race caller for NBC Sports Group's coverage of the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup. Larry, welcome. Welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Great to be with you, Richard. It's uh, it's good to uh, have the derby over and done with. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you got some sleep. All right. So here's where I want to start. And I have talked to enough you know, I I, I I love horse racing. I think it's a fascinating sport. I, I've talked to um, not a ton of race callers, but enough race callers over the years where I know this to be true. I find you guys as a group are so notoriously hard on yourself and self-critical when it comes to calls. Rarely are you ever satisfied, even if the general public at large thinks your call of a race was great. So my sense is that you will probably find fault with your call of Rich Strike winning the Derby. But I have to be honest, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great call, and I've watched it now six or seven times, and it's pretty thrilling to hear you catch Rich call Rich Strike at the end of that uh, at the end of that call. So how do you see it? I see that I should have picked him up earlier. I knew you, you know? said that. <laughs> yeah, I knew you knew I was going to say that. No, it's it's true. Um, it's it's so hard in that race because there are so many horses 
And honestly, when you're uh, in a lot of horse races, the majority of the moves, the late moves come from horses on the outside rather than on the inside. So you're not really looking too much inside. And I, you know, I was looking at that battle coming down the stretch and all of a sudden, you know, I just kind of see this blur on the inside and I'm like, oh my God, that's got to be Rich Strike because he's the only one with red and white colors. And luckily, you know, you just get it just in time. And I was, I was so happy that I was able to, to call the horse, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had followed his run a little bit earlier. And, and like you said, there's, there's never, ever a race call that you're completely satisfied with. There's no such thing as a perfect call. The, uh, honestly, probably the closest I came up with was when, at least for me was when American Pharaoh won the triple crown, because uh, the pressure was so huge that day and you wanted to say the right thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't mess it up. I didn't throw any F bombs or anything in there. So, uh, but, but this one was this one. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you want to catch the horse quicker, but, uh, but overall I'm glad I got him at all because he was literally the last horse you're looking for in that race. Okay. So that, there's a lot there that I want to get to. So here's the first yeah. thing I have watched this race now so many times and I find it sort of endlessly amazing how the pack is coming back to Rich Strike. My my buddy Tim Layden, who's one of the great horse racing riders of his generation, sort of he, and I learned this from him, it's not that Rich Strike was per se accelerating, but it's the horses are coming back, basically, almost de-accelerating. And he is, I think as Layden described it, he's just going the fastest of the horses, of the slowing horses, basically. And so, but when you watch that race, Larry, as I'm sure you've seen a second time, he his move is so late that I don't know as a race caller how you could have picked it up earlier because for so long it was epicenter leading, battling Zandon, and you kind of really couldn't pick up uh Rich Strike until the end. So I know you're self-critical on this, Larry, but I just I like I wonder where you think you could have picked him up because even at the top of the stretch, he you know, what was he in fifth, sixth, seventh? He wasn't a player until very much the end of that race. Yeah, I mean, toward the end of the race, uh, I was still, I remember calling Simplification, who was on the outside of the two leaders, and and Rich Strike had already gone by him, but the fact that he was inside uh, made it a little bit tougher to to pick up that run. He was he was kind of stuck in behind Messier after I watched the replay, and and uh, Sonny Leon, the jockey who rode, by the way, just absolute perfect race, was able to ang him, angle him to the outside of Messier, and, and when he did that, the horse just absolutely took off. Yeah. I mean, part of that is the fact that the early part of that race, the pace was so fast that it's set up for a horse that comes from behind, but there were plenty of other horses that had that opportunity to do it. And he was the only one that did. Do you, you know, the NBC coverage sometimes, not sometimes, actually, they always do this. They'll, they'll sort of do a, uh, they'll play the race out ahead of time, uh, like a computerized sort of, uh, version of it as to how they think it might play out. And so often, obviously, in this race, uh, front runners have won the Derby, like so many times in the last decade. Uh, this was obviously scorching pace, as you mentioned, and, and a come-from-behind horse won. When you are thinking about this race, Larry, do you, do you play out different races in your head? So are you thinking sort of ahead in terms of, okay, if it plays out how I might think, here are the horses I see here at this part of the race, here are the horses I see there? 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, this race, uh, you know, a lot of people have been talking about this leading up, figured to have a, a really fast pace. You had Summer is Tomorrow coming in with a lot of early speed, you know, Epicenter figured to be close. He really wasn't. Uh, Joel Rosario took him back, but there were other horses like Messier, uh, Classic Causeway, Zozos, who figured to be, you know, up and on the pace of that race. And and uh, surprisingly, the horse from Japan, Crown Pride, was up there. And when I saw, you know, I, I figured the last time there was a, a race that they ran the half mile quicker than 46 seconds, I believe was when Orb won the Derby back in 2013. And he came from the clouds and I saw him because he moved on the outside, right? Cause that's, that's where I'm looking. So um, yeah, when I saw that 45 and change come up, I'm like, okay, well, you, you better be ready. Somebody's going to be coming on, but <laughs> he was not the one I was expecting. Are you, um, I mean, we're talking obviously seconds, uh, split seconds in, in many ways. When Rich Strike hits the line and you call him winning, are you able to process the significance of that victory in real time as it's happening? Or does it only really occur, let's say, even like 20, 40, a minute later, like, oh man, like literally the second longest shot in the history of the Derby just came in? No, it was immediate because I, I mean, I even said it, oh my goodness, you know, because it, it was... It was a, a situation where that horse wasn't even in the races of nine o'clock on Friday morning. So I, I knew I knew he was the, the complete outsider in that field uh, of 20 horses. There was no question that if you had told me, you know, list the list the horses you thought had a chance in the race and which ones didn't. Rich Strike would would be the absolute last horse I would have picked to win that race and, and have a chance based on his past performances. And so when he won the, you know, the, the knowledge of this being, you know, a, a monumental historical upset was in, was instant. Lindsay Shanzer, who I uh, exchanged emails with on Sunday, she's part of my column on the athletic today. She's the producer of the Kentucky Derby, actually first woman in the history of the Derby broadcast uh, to be the lead producer. She told me Larry that, you got, there wasn't much talk about Rich Strike in pre-production meetings, obviously, but the one thing she did remember it actually involves you, and she said that in one of these production meetings, you, I mean, not for, traditionally in a production meeting, you'll go, you'll pronounce all the horses and all the jockeys, I guess, so the people who are around the room have a sense of how to pronounce these names in the event it comes up on air, and she said the last mention of a jockey was Sonny Leone during one of these production meetings. And she just, I think in the back of her mind, just happened to sort of as, you know, Rich Strike was making its run, like sort of thinking, wow, like this is the last jockey we mentioned. Do you remember anything other than a very quick mention of Rich Strike during the NBC production meetings? And by the way, why would you be talking about a 99 to one shot that just got in the field? Well, first of all, Lindsay, by the way, did a phenomenal job in her, in her first uh, Derby. It was just so so smooth and seamless. I was I was uh, not surprised though because she's such a pro. But it, well, I remember the meeting because it was Saturday morning, and the only reason he was the last one we mentioned was I did it in in horse order from okay, one, from go. one to the bottom. But I got I remember what I said uh, because it, it it turns out to be pretty funny. I said and, and you know it went through the jockeys and I said in the last one I. I assume it's Sonny Leone because honestly, I don't know who he is. Uh, and and it's, wow. it's true. I had, I had never heard of him uh, because of the, the tracks that he had been 
riding at are not ones that I normally follow. Uh, I've heard of him now, <laughs> you know, for, for sure. He's won the Kentucky Derby and, you know, and, and seeing him the, the night after we all went out to dinner at Jeff Ruby's and he walked in and, and Mike Smith and John Velasquez, you know, kind of brought him into the room and, and uh, he got a big standing ovation from everybody. And he kind of looked like a deer in the headlights at first. And, you know, it's, I, I was so happy for him because I, uh, you know, as of, like I said, nine o'clock on Friday morning, the guy didn't even always riding in the race and he, he ends up winning. One of the, one of the real sort of beautiful uh, production things that have come out of this race is that aerial shot mm -hmm. above uh, the track where we can track epicenter and we can track rich strike. Um, obviously you're calling the race, so you're not going to see that until after the fact, have you seen that? And uh, I just wanted to get as someone who's in the business, your thoughts. Cause man, like if you want to like a, a perfect production shot to really sort of show you what happened in that race. That that's it. Yeah. It was really cool to, to watch that on replay uh, and, uh, and see the, the fact that, that at every opportunity that, that Sonny had to make a move, he made the right move. And, and, uh, and that was what won the race for, for Rick strike it was an absolutely picture perfect ride uh, by a jockey who is riding against the top guys in the world. And he just did an, Absolutely everything he did was 100% right. What do you do or what did you do after this race? You call it, uh, they go to whoever they go to, Tariko, whoever else. They're obviously going to talk to uh, the connections after the race. What, what are you doing at that moment, like in the... In the in the five minutes after that race happens, are you still in the booth? Like what? Where where are you? What are you? I doing? stay in the booth until the race becomes official. Um, and uh, I was told to do that after the maximum security incident a few years ago because uh, yeah. the I'm the closest one to the stewards who who uh, make the race official. So just in case somebody's got to go over there and and check in with them, I'm I'm right down the hallway. So uh, I stick around, but. Uh, right outside of my room is where the chart callers are. The guys that from Equibase that put together all the positions of the horses and all that. Oh, wow. And so I, I traditionally, you know, open the door and, and, and I, I just remembered, and, and you told me before this podcast started that I can cuss. I, I just, yes, I just like opened the door and I went WTF. I mean, <laughs> rich strike. Are you kidding me? And everybody's like, What? Like nobody thought that that was, uh, that that was possible. And, and one of the other things I always do, I make the flashcards um, of every horse in the race. Cause I study, study, study those. And, and the guy that's the chart caller for uh, Equibase, Matt Metz, I always give him the winning horse. Uh, because it was kind of a good luck thing every year. And so uh, I, I remember the maximum security year, I, I gave him maximum security and country houses and just in case take both and I'm out of here. Uh, but uh, this time I, I'm like, I had to search through, I'm like, here's rich strike. You know, I didn't think I'd be giving you this one, but here it is. One of the things that, uh, one of the things I was curious about um, knowing you were going to come on today was the sound of the track after that finish. And at least from watching at home, like you, there, it's crazy cheers, crazy cheers. And it was almost like, uh, people like sort of lost their breath for a second. Like, holy shit, this just happened. What did it sound like from your perspective in the announcing? Well, I'm, I'm way up high and, um, and thick glass. So, but I, I, obviously I hear everything. I hear the crowd and, you know, and, and it was, 
it was pretty quiet compared to, you know, a, a normal derby. And the one thing uh, my audio person, my was as we call them, the A2 person that works with me, Andrea, she said, take a look out, out the window. And all we saw were like, it, it, it was raining, losing tickets. Like there were, there were all these <laughs> tickets just flying through the air because nobody bet on this horse. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty neat sight. I'm like, wow, that's, that seems pretty appropriate that, uh, <laughs> that the tickets are flying after that. I think a lot of people, to be honest with you, because announcers, we go by the, the silks, the, the jockey silks that they wear. That's the, the way we can really separate the horses. I think a lot of people that didn't, you know, realize who that horse was, thought it was Happy Jack, the two, because it looked like yeah. a two that in the, the saddle cloth on the two is white. And this, and I don't even remember what the saddle cloth on 21 is because I never see it. Uh, but it, it, it was almost white and it looked like a two, but luckily Happy Jack had black and yellow colors. So I knew it wasn't him, but I think, I think more like half the people in the building thought it was happy Jack uh, when they came to the wire. So uh, they were probably a little bit surprised that it, it was rich strike when they put that 21 up on the board. You um, you've obviously called thousands and thousands and thousands of races. Uh, do you have any memories of calling this level long shot? Maybe you have, have you ever called a, a, an 80 to one or a 99 to one? Probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have, but in, in, in races that, you know, don't come to mean much to you, but I, I'm sure I've called a 99 to one shot at some point of all those races that I've done, but certainly, certainly not in the Kentucky Derby or, 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 uh, you know, a major stakes race. So that was, uh, that was a shocker. I want to uh, ask you, cause I think, uh, this will be interesting to some of the people who, uh, who are listening to this, uh, especially if you happen to be uh, someone who likes watching the Derby and the Preakness and the Belmont. Can you take me through each uh, track and where you're sitting for each of the races? And is there any, Larry, is there any, uh, like, does, is one track maybe uh, have better sight lines or what I, I let's, we'll, we'll make, I'll make it easy for you. So we'll do this in order. Where are you sitting to call the Churchill race? And how would you sort of describe or analyze your sort of uh, your view? Your I, I would say that uh, would would venture a guess that my sight line for the Kentucky Derby could be the best of anyone at the track. I mean, it is literally at the highest level and on the finish line. It's it's perfect. Um, so there's there's no excuse there. There is a uh, the one thing about Churchill Downs is there's a slight skew between the grandstand and the and the actual racetrack it's they're not completely perpendicular so parallel excuse me perpendiculars the other way around not completely parallel yeah, yeah, right. so um because of that you know you have to be a little bit careful as the inside horse is a, is not quite as good as the outside horse as far as the angle when they hit the wire luckily the, the derby wasn't close but um so that that is a great seat uh pimlico is I'm outside, uh, out on the roof, uh, with some cover, not complete cover. It's, it's open air in front of me. And I have, I have gotten drenched. I was got rained on pretty hard during American Pharaoh's Preakness. I remember that. Uh, and it's a little bit up from the finish line. It's about maybe 30 yards or so before the wire. So it's kind of a, a bit of an angle. Um, so that is not as ideal, uh, for my uh, my position, uh, Belmont has changed over the years because for for a while I was the track announcer at Belmont, so I called for from the regular 
announcer's booth, which is, it was pretty good high up near the finish line. Um, when I, before I was the announcer, when Tom Durkin was, and then after I left uh, Naira, um, a level lower uh, than that in the press box and just a touch past the finish line, a little tiny booth, but, but it's not a bad view. Um, I, re- I remember the one uh, when, when we had the weird Belmont is the law mile and eighth, the first leg of the triple crown uh, because of COVID I actually called from the grandstand seats that day, uh, which was uh, wow. a, a unique, but there was nobody else there. The place was not open to the public. Uh, I, I remember sitting outside and they played New York, New York, uh, like normal, but to absolutely no one. Uh, and I was like, this is so surreal uh, being out there and listening to that. But uh, view wise, I'd say in order, uh, Derby best, Belmont second, Preakness third. You've uh, just given your uh, given your career, in addition, obviously, calling the Brewers Cup. You've obviously called uh, races from around the country. Uh, is there something that is the equal of Churchill's view for the Derby, whether it's, you know, Del Mar or one of these other famous tracks? Like, is there a track around the country where, from your perspective as the race caller, you're like, man, if I could design every track, like, I'd, I'd design well, it like this. Well, the, the, the most unique uh, announcer's booth would be Saratoga. And it is it is both horrific and fantastic. And <laughs> so <laughs> as far as the, the entire race goes, there's like poles in the way, you're too low. There's there's trees everywhere. Things are just like not good as far as viewing goes. Until the finish, you have a an unbelievable sight line to call close photo finishes at Saratoga. And when two horses are like noses apart, I can pick it out. Uh, with other tracks, I'll wow. be like, eh, not so sure about that. Saratoga, I was super sure on finishes, not so sure on the rest of the race. Uh, but, uh, but that's, but that's how, um, that's how that booth is. There's a, there's another track that I call at called Kentucky Downs, which is, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That, uh, I, I took a, I looked at before, when I was doing some research yeah. before I was talking to you, I looked on the site, uh, European style, all turf racehorse. That track is beautiful. I mean, like, I don't know how many non, you know, diehard horse racing fans know about it, but like Kentucky Downs, if you just look at it visually, that's a stunning piece of real estate. It, it really is. And it's it's actually closer to Nashville than anywhere. It's it's at the very tip of Kentucky, on right on the Tennessee border. It is the, it is the hardest track to call races I have ever seen in my life because you're you're actually low. You're like two levels up outside and the, the track is huge and it goes in all different directions. And when they come to the top of the stretch, it's like a head on view of the horses and your perspective is just so bad. <laughs> You're just like, I, I listened to some, some of the calls. I'm like, Oh God, I wasn't even close uh, on that one until, you know, again, like Saratoga, it's okay at the finish, but everywhere else it's like impossible. So in, as we're taping this today on uh Monday, May 9th, two days after the Derby, uh, Rich Strikes Connections, Larry, are saying that the plan at the moment is to send the cult to Pimlico for the Preakness. Um, I think he was actually shipped, in fact. So, you know, that's sort of the the plan. I'm obviously and they'll um, they'll see how he takes the track. Uh, we'll see what sort of how he does at, at Pimlico. But 
at the moment, as we're taping this now, the plan is for him to race. Obviously, it's horse racing. It could change. Of course, everything can change in horse racing. So let's make, at least for this exercise, Larry, the, the assumption that he's in the race. It's crazy for you, in my opinion, because you obviously have to pay attention to the Derby winner, uh, just given it's the Derby winner. At the same time, like it would probably not surprise anybody in the sport if Rich Strike literally finished in last in the Preakness and sort of reverted back to, you know, previous form. So when you're thinking about this, like in terms of how you got to think about it, and I know you got to see what other horses are there, but I don't know. It's just a crazy one to me because like he's going to be a very unique Derby horse in that I think he's going to have to prove it at least in, even if it's not winning the next race, sort of proving that the horse belongs. And so for you, while there'll be so much attention on him, it, it literally is possible you might be calling other people, you know what I'm saying, the last part of this race. So I'm kind of fascinated by it. Well, How do you approach it? He's the story, obviously. He's going to be the story of the race. Yeah, oh, yeah. He and uh, the Philly uh, Secret Oath, who won the Kentucky Oaks. She can be- if, that's right, if yeah, Lucas puts I, him in. I think he is. In, I'm, I I'm say, sorry. certain he's going to. Oh, so that, that's pretty cool. But uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story going back 10 years ago. And I was – it was my um, – was my first actually it was, it was actually my first Kentucky Derby in Preakness. So it'd be uh, eleven years ago, two thousand eleven, and I Animal Kingdom won the Derby, and then he runs in the he runs right. in the Preakness, and he's another horse that comes from way behind. He's in the back of the pack, and he makes a late run. So I call the Preakness. He comes on late, but he doesn't win. Shackleford ends up winning the race. So before the Belmont Stakes. Back then, Fred Godelli uh, was the producer for the Triple Crown, you know, the Sunday night football producer for NBC Sports. And he took me aside and he said, I want to I want to go over the Preakness call with you that you that you made. And I'm like, OK, Freddie, let's take a look. And and they're going to the backstretch. And, and I hadn't mentioned Animal Kingdom yet because he's at the back of the field. And he said, uh, Larry, he, I, I realize that he's not near the lead, but. I think he, I think you need to pay more attention to him early because he's the story and people want to know where he is. And as a race caller, that never entered my mind. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. Um, and ever yeah. since that that Belmont Stakes was was funny because Animal Kingdom, I had my eye on him and Shackle for the Derby and Preakness winners, and Animal Kingdom stumbles coming out of the gate, and I saw it because I was particularly watching him. So ever since. You know, you have to really pay attention to the storylines and the Kentucky Derby winner is the main storyline in the Preakness. So I will be focusing more on him than any other deep closer that, you know, that you would normally give little attention to until he started making a move. Uh, He'll get he'll get a little extra focus for sure. Yeah, you totally have it right. Like there's one. I shouldn't say there's not one story, but there's one story above all the other stories, and that is Rich Strike, even with that Philly. All right, a couple more. I know that uh, last year, maybe even this year too. I apologize for not knowing this. That um, you've done Delmar. You've 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 called some races from Delmar, filling in for Trevor Denman, who's one of the the great race callers of all time. Um, when the Triple Crown stretch ends, Larry, and I know you also have the Breeders' Cup. Like, what's next for you? Are you are you back at? I think Kentucky Downs is not a. That's not a, a full season meet, right? So do you. What what's your schedule? Let's say after um, 
after you complete the Belmont. I've call. been doing a, a work for TVG, the, the horse racing network. Okay. And actually, uh, this past uh, winter, Gulfstream Park, not calling races, but uh, but as an analyst. And uh, oh, yeah, that's been something different. And I did that at, at yeah, good for I you. I did that at Gulfstream. I'm going to do that at Monmouth Park too. Trevor Denman, I'm I'm pretty sure is coming back to Del Mar this year, so I'm going to be at Monmouth Park, which is 10 minutes from my home here in New Jersey, and uh, working as an analyst for TVG uh, during the summer. And uh, you know, other than uh, in fact, I'll be doing it this weekend coming up because uh, you know the Preakness isn't for a couple of weeks. So I'll be doing that Saturday and Sunday and then off, off to Baltimore after that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's something different. It's fun. Um, it, it can be a little frustrating trying to pick winners, uh, you know, of, of races when, uh, you know, you get in hot and cold streaks, but uh, I, I like the, I like branching out a little bit. It, it's, you know, you, you kind of get, uh, you know, pigeonholed into being, Oh, he's just a race caller. That's all he does. And it gives me an opportunity to, you know, show I can do more. Yeah, congrats, Larry. Uh, being a sports television analyst for any sport, you have solved the mystery of the easiest job for the most possible money that one can get. So congratulations. <laughs> uh, congratulations on that. All right, last one. The um, you know, I, I may have asked this before, but I, I just I love sort of what you do and, and, and the sports, so I'm just interested in this anyway. You know, a lot of people sort of immediately, if they think like, what is the greatest racing call of all time, will go to... Uh, Chick's call of um, of Secretariat obviously winning the Belmont. That's Chick Anderson, very very famous call, and it's an amazing call. It's one of the greatest moments in the history of sport. Uh, he did have the advantage, I think, as just a broadcaster, that it was clear what was going to happen. There were no horses sort of in the way, so he could build up the drama. Um, do you have a favorite, independent of the ones you've called? Do you have favorites, uh, like all time favorites, in terms of um, for someone, you know, at the, at your position, the height of sort of this kind of calling, like, are there a couple that you considered the greatest of all time when it comes to these calls? Yeah, there, there are a few that, that stick out for me. Um, uh, Tom Durkin, of course, who, who preceded me at NBC had so many great ones, but one of my favorites, yeah, awesome. yeah, he just tremendous. One of my favorites, uh, with him was, uh, when real quiet and victory Gallup came to the wire in the Belmont stakes and, and uh, back then they had a they had a five million dollar bonus for winning the triple crown and, and real quiet was eligible for that. And and victory Gallup and, and him just came to the wire together. And Tom came up with a line that I'm like, I, I, I just I can't believe he he's able to come up with this. He said, a picture is worth a thousand words. This one is worth five million dollars. And it was like, oh, oh my God, God, Tom, that's so perfect. You know, um, the other one, uh, Trevor Denman, who we mentioned earlier, his call of Zenyatta winning the Breeders' Cup Classic, coming from last and following her move all the way uh, to the wire. And he finishes because it looked like there was no chance she was going to win. And he and he ends with a call with this is unbelievable as she comes to the wire and yeah. and passes all the male horses and wins the Breeders' Cup Classic. So, what a great that she was. Such uh, a she was fantastic. Oh, and and uh, yeah, those two those two stick out. Uh, so many Durkin calls. You know, great Dave Johnson calls over the years. Another guy who was, you know, the down the stretch they come guy. And he, but he is, he, you know, one of the legends of our game. And we've, you know, we're a lot of, a lot of great announcers out there, but, but Tom and Trevor certainly have a, a lot of memorable ones for sure. When, uh, when it's like a big race on a Saturday, either for uh, the Preakness or the Belmont, like when do you, when do you, 
usually get there. I think a lot of times you want to call the Friday card, right? Just to sort of get into the the rhythm of stuff. So do you do you arrive at the site on Thursday or how does it work for you? Usually? Well, for the Derby this year, because I hadn't been calling for a while, I, I asked them to fly me out on Monday. And uh, I, start, wow. I started calling races from that booth on Tuesday just for practice, just just track it. Oh, for, for practice. practice. So nobody heard. Except yeah, you. Just me just wow. up in the booth calling, you know, the guys behind me heard me, you know, but I, I was just I was just getting in sync again, getting into the rhythm, uh, especially from that location. Uh, as far as the Preakness goes, I think I'll yeah, I think I'll probably be getting there on Thursday. I think that's the game plan. Okay. Um as far as that goes. And we, we do have a, I'm pretty sure we have a show on Friday with a black eyed suit. Yeah. They usually like usually, uh, um, and, uh, you know, used to be like the, the old NBC sports right. network would do it. USA uh, network. Yeah. The yeah. Pre-show. yeah. So now you can do it on Peacock or elsewhere yeah. anyway. Right. Peacock or USA network, what, you know, whatever. or USA yeah. network. Right. So those, those, uh, that'll be going on. And then of course the Saturday we'll have probably the undercard on that one. And, you know, I, I don't even know when we're on. I, I just show up when they tell me to. <laughs> I should know this. Do you, you probably know this. Is there a uh, is there a Kentucky Oaks equivalent at Pimlico either the day before or the day of where it's like a second major race? Kind yeah, of it's the thing? day before the Black Eyed Susan Stakes. It's called. Yeah, oh, Black it's Eyed not Susan as big. It's know. not as big as the Kentucky Oaks, um, but uh, it's still it's still pretty prestigious and uh, some. So that's yeah. uh, so that's always fun to. Uh, I, I love going to Pimlico. I mean, that's where I'm from. I'm I'm a Maryland guy, born in Maryland. Yeah, I've been there once. It, I'll, it was I'll, great. It I'll was tell you a quick, quick story. Um, the first time I called the Preakness for NBC because I remember I was the I was the backup announcer in Maryland when I was a little kid, right? So the I was in the press box and and you know doing odd jobs back in the eighties, you know, and I remember. Preakness day watching, you know, Dave Johnson walk down this, the hallway to the press box. I'm like, Oh man, there's Dave Johnson. He's the guy that calls the race for network TV. And, um, I remember then 2011, my first Preakness and I'm walking down that same hallway, which hasn't really changed over the years. I'm like, Holy shit. I'm that guy. Now that, that I, I made, I was like, made a big deal out of back, you know, 25 years ago. That's me now. You know, how crazy is that? And, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Jim McKay. When I think of Pimlico, oh, I think yeah. of Jim McKay uh, on ABC because that was his uh, that was his home and his race. And uh, um, yeah, I appreciate oh. this is a cool race. All right, Larry, listen. I know you're going to self-analyze this. Just take it from a stranger and an outsider. It was a great call, and the fact that you picked picked him up late, I actually think enhances that call so much. I know you're not going <laughs> to think this, but trust me on this. That that's actually what makes the call great is that you pick you pick we as the viewers got your sort of inflection as just as he passed epicenter and so it makes the call. So again, I know you're gonna you know you're gonna be self critical. You're gonna call up you know twenty five psychotherapists or whatever, but just trust me on this one. It's a good. It was a good. I, one. I hope I pick him up earlier in the preakness. <laughs> yes, you will. Yeah, because it'll be in your head. You'll pick them up. By the way, you want to talk about Sonny Leone. Uh, probably hasn't been even talked about yet. His his move initially, right out of the gate, was an incredible move. He got him from 20 all the way to a great position um, a little off the rail. So he saved a ton of ground to start that race. And then obviously with the blistering pace, he obviously had a lot it was, to uh, – It was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. I, I was just, yeah, I was just taking a, a look at the other uh, – earlier today because I – 
I'm following how many Twitter followers that Sonny Leone has because I think he had like four or five hundred <laughs> yeah. at the most. You know, a couple. Of yeah, now it's probably like ten thousand or something. Yeah, it's good. Good, good yeah, for him. Exactly. <laughs> it always yeah. it is good for him. All right, Larry Colmus is the race caller for uh, NBC Sports Group's coverage of the Triple Crown. Does the Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont, uh, Breeders' Cup. He's obviously mentioned some of the other um, some of the other tracks that he's called that, and he's now a. Uh, you know, he's one of the good hair people, basically, is the TVG uh, television uh, television analyst. Larry, listen, thanks. It's Monday, right after the Derby, so thank you for making time for me after what was a very exciting weekend, and and we'll be anticipating your calls of the of the Preakness and the Belmont. And if Rich Strike somehow wins the Preakness, holy but Jesus, Larry, it's going to be an incredible three weeks for you. Before Let's hope we're we're. Uh, the, I'm, oh, I'm totally yeah, rooting for I'm, it. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not supposed amazing. to root, but, uh, you know, we always want a triple crown on the line, you know. So, uh, root yeah, for the absolutely. story, as we say in the biz. Larry Colmas. Thank you, Larry. You got it, Richard. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Larry Colmas for uh, for his time and uh, really interesting. I'm, I'm a, I find horse racing just really fascinating. I know it's got a lot of ills and, and those should be uh, discussed. And Joe Drape just had a, of the New York Times, had a phenomenal piece on Medina Spirit. Uh, that horse a very sad story but uh but it's just it's a it can be a beautiful sport as well and uh and guys like larry Colmas are at the top of top of their game when it comes to this stuff if uh if you like this podcast please leave us a five-star review and a nice note that's how the podcast continues that stuff does matter so i appreciate that if you do that previous uh or recent episodes i should say the one before this life after a sports media career we had a conversation with amy moritz a former buffalo sports news I'm sorry, a former Buffalo News sports writer, Amy K. Nelson, a former ESPN and SB Nation writer, and Cat O'Brien, a former baseball writer for the Fort Worth Telegram, Fort Worth Star Telegram and Newsday. And uh, they just talked about uh, what they're doing now and sort of how they reinvented and transitioned themselves into really successful post-sports media careers. TJ Quinn, also the ESPN investigative reporter on the Brittany Griner story. He's been doing really exceptional work on that. Had uh, how to cover the NFL draft with Michael Sean Duger, Tashawn Reed, and Rianne Walker. Those are my colleagues at the Athletic. Susie Colbert of ESPN was part of this uh, this podcast series over the last couple weeks. Gus Johnson of um, NBA college football calling fame. Uh, Joe Davis, the voice of the World Series. Head to the archives. There should be something that you like and enjoy. Want to thank everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. Thanks to Patrick Antonetti as always. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on Sports Media Podcast.